Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is Friday, May the 25th. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter number 8. Last time we were together, uh, we covered verses 1 through 18, and we noticed on three occasions where Jesus healed in these verses. He healed uh, the leper, he healed the centurion's servant, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And we discussed three reasons uh, for this. Uh, the healings were a fulfillment of prophecy in verse 17. The healings demonstrated that he could also forgive sins. And then the healings also testified to his deity because people worshipped him. And then we broke down each of these healings, the healing of the leper, the healing of the centurion servant, and the he the healing of of Peter's mother-in-law. We also uh, today we're going to see that there is no pattern for healing. Uh, there is no pattern for healing. Um, we see in verse number two uh, that the one asked, one was told, one said absolutely nothing. And the multitude that came were just healed. So we don't see a pattern there at all. He touched two of them, but he didn't even see one of them. And only one of them, faith, is even mentioned in verse 10. And we also see that the healings were immediate. We see that also that there were no misfires in the healing. Everyone that he wanted healed were healed. And then we also see that he healed them with a word. In other words, he didn't, it didn't require some kind of magical incantation, incantation, motion, or touch. So there's no pattern for healing in the Bible at all. And the bottom line is that healing comes as God chooses and not us. I mean, he may heal by medicine. You know, as a matter of fact, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 23, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmity. So, you know, Paul didn't perform any kind of supernatural healing on, on Timothy. And instead he just used, you know, medicine in this case, wine. Also in Isaiah 38, 21, for Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. Nothing supernatural there. Uh, he, God, chooses to heal with medicine. And then we also see examples in Scripture where the Lord chooses to heal without medicine. You know, supernaturally. In Acts 3, verse number 7, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So the Lord can heal with medicine. The Lord can heal without medicine. Or, you know what? The Lord may choose to leave us sick. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4.20, Erastus bode in Corinth, but Trophimus have I left in Miletium sick. Paul was unable to perform a supernatural healing. No medicines worked, and God apparently did not intervene. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me, but the Lord did not heal the apostle Paul. So he can use medicine. He doesn't have to use medicine or he can just leave you sick. But the scriptures do promise that one day all of us will be healed.
<laughs> in Philippians 3.21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the work and whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. So we see from these, from these scriptures here that there's no pattern for healing at all. The Lord chooses, the Lord heals as he wills, not as we will. He can choose to heal with medicine. He can choose to heal without medicine, or he may just choose to leave us sick for his own purposes. The apostle Paul said, for by, through my weaknesses, he is made strong. And we also see finally, we'll all be healed someday, maybe not in this life, but in the next. Now, in the next portion of scripture, uh, we're going to look at requirements of discipleship. In verse number 18, a certain scribe came to him and said, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first, go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, You need to follow me and let the, buried, the dead bury their dead. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose great tempest in the sea, and as much as the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father God, we do ask and come before you today that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us. Lord, I pray that um, you would minister as you see fit to each and every one of us, Lord. And Father, that your will would be done in each of our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in this passage, the Lord shows us what may be required in discipleship. And I say may because it doesn't apply to every one of us. For example, the first one, separation from home. In verses 19 through 20, it says, And a certain scribe said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said, Hey, you know, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Jesus had to leave heaven to come down here to save us. And that meant he had to give up everything. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the Apostle Paul said, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The Lord left everything to come and to save us. Also, when God Abraham, called Abraham in the Old Testament, he told him, you need to leave home. And Abraham wasn't even sure where he was going. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11, verse number eight, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing whither he went. Abraham had no idea where he was going. But the cost of discipleship may cost us a separation from home, a calling to leave everything that we know and that we love. I've done it, and many others have done it. I've left. I've moved my family. I've moved my family to Guatemala. I've moved my family to Texas. I've moved my family to Peru, and I've moved my family to Virginia. And as I look back, I see other families, and i got to admit, I'm just a little jealous sometimes that how close they all are. They all live in close proximity, and they've 
watch their grandchildren grow up and they've got to know their grandparents and their extended family. But the Lord hasn't given me that luxury. My cost of following Jesus has cost me a separation from home. Also, the call to discipleship may be a call to change in regards to priorities. In verse number 21, notice what he says. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Now, this would-be disciple wanted to put his priorities ahead of the Lord Jesus. That's what was going on. In Mark chapter 8 and verse number 34, And when he had called the twelve unto himself and his disciples, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, listen to this, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, let him follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know, it's been said, the cross is where the Lord's will crosses your will. So the cost of discipleship, the cost of follow the Lord or the requirements of discipleship may be a change or will be definitely not maybe a change in priorities. And again, the Lord's not being cruel here. As a matter of fact, if you look in the text and the, the man's father wasn't even dead. The man is just saying, I want to hang out with my dad until he passes away and then I want to bury him and then I'll follow you. But the Lord said no. So following the Lord may be a change or will be a change in priorities. And then also a, a call to follow the Lord may be a, an exposure to peril, an exposure to peril. Uh, we see in verse number 23 where it says, And when he was entered into a ship, the disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, inasmuch that the ship was covered in the waves, but he was asleep. So the a call to follow the Lord may expose us to peril. These were fishermen, and yet this was a storm unlike anything that they had ever experienced. They actually thought they were going to die. For a fisherman to think that he's going to die, I mean, it's got to be pretty bad. You see, but the bottom line is that following Jesus can be dangerous. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians 1, 8, For we do, not, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of our lives. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Following Jesus, there's a cost. I mean, leaving home, you know, exposure to peril, <laughs> a change in priorities. You know, Paul suffered tremendously at the hands of the very people that he was trying to minister to. And I guarantee you, you ask any pastor who has hurt him the most, he'll tell you it's the very people that he's trying to minister to. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. All this was done by, to him by the Jews, his fellow countrymen. I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I'd been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils and waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You see, we have to understand and know that no matter how bad it gets, God is in total control. As a matter of fact, he rebuked the disciples for forgetting this. 
because they were not depending on him. And his disciples came and said, Lord, wait, Lord, save us. We perish. And he said, why are ye so fearful, O ye of little faith? Listen, if Jesus is in the boat, you have no reason to fear and every reason to have faith. Every reason to have faith. We need to have complete dependence upon Jesus. We need to trust him with everything. He, uh, just like the disciples, they turned to him, even though it was a lack of faith and they were afraid, they still had enough sense to turn to Jesus and say, say, Master, save us for we perish. They had no choice but to depend upon the Lord. And I believe that the Lord places us at times in all these perils and all of this leaving home and all of this exposure to danger and all of this a change in priorities. We have no choice but to depend upon the Lord. Peter figured that out when he began to sink. You remember he wanted to walk out on the water and to come to Jesus. But in Matthew 14, 30, when he, when, and when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He said, Lord, save me, save me, complete dependence on the Lord. We need to have faith in fearful circumstances. We need to have faith. That's what Jesus said. Why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. We need to have faith. You know, if, 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 if there were, were not fearful circumstances, why would we need faith? The Lord allows his disciples to go through fearful circumstances to strengthen their faith. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, fear is the absence of faith. Faith is the absence of fear. The psalmist said in Psalm 56, 11, In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember that God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.